Hello, it's Caroline, and I'm here to tell you that the episode you're about to listen to was recorded a long time ago, back when I used Patreon, back when I ran lots of different workshops and programs that I do not run anymore, and back before the Fuck It Diet book. So if I refer to any of these obsolete offerings while you're listening, just know that even though my Patreon and other programs don't exist anymore, you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck It Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Welcome to, oh no. Guys, I messed up. Oh, I messed up again. All right, I'm back. It's working. I did it right. I was doing it wrong, but I'm doing it right now. Welcome to episode 11 of the Fuck It Diet Radio. My name is Caroline Dooner, and I am your host of this podcast, the Fuck It Diet Radio, and the creator of thefuckitdiet.com, which is an anti-diet that is trying to teach you how to eat normally. All right, so today is a huge day. Today I interviewed, well, I didn't interview her today, but today I'm releasing my interview with Linda Bacon, PhD, researcher on weight regulation science, and the author of two huge books, Health at Every Size, The Surprising Truth About Your Weight, and Body Respect, What Conventional Health Books Get Wrong, Leave Out, or Just Fail to Understand About Weight. My work rests so heavily on her work. So if you haven't read both of those books, make sure that you do. I was so excited to interview her and so nervous that I really was kind of, I had some moments of like, where I felt very awkward and, um, but she was amazing and gracious. And I made the mistake of just introducing her as, um, the author of Health at Every Size, and she very kindly reminded me that Body Respect is her latest work and her favorite because it really brings in the social aspect of health, which is really, really important and really pretty revolutionary for most of us because it's really not how the masses um, think about health. So definitely read those books, and I really, really hope that you enjoy the interview. I'm going to get right into it. I will talk more afterwards, but today I want you to get to jump right into this awesome interview with the amazing Linda Bacon. so happy to have you on everyone this is linda bacon who wrote the book health at every size thanks caroline and um you know i'm i'm so appreciative that so many people are familiar with the book health at every size and then it's made the impact that it has um 
And I'm also disappointed that it tends to always dwarf my second book, which I actually think is an, a more important book, um, and that's respect. Body Respect. I am so into Body Respect as well. Um, everybody, I, I talk about health at every size. When did Body Respect come out, Linda? It came out in 2014. Okay. And, and I think that, um, I imagine that one of the reasons why Health at Every Size is so much more well-known is because it's got um, much more of a self-help emphasis, like mm. the second half of the book is all kind of guiding people on how to make changes, whereas um, more of the focus in body respect is theory. But I also think that there's ways in which that really inspires people and gets them um, to make changes in their lives. And um, I'm disappointed that it just hasn't grabbed as much attention. I completely agree with you that the theory is really what people actually crave. You know, that's, that's the thing often that will really, I don't know, kind of empower people to, to take the leap into into actual body respect and body trust. Um, so yes, everyone listening, please, please, if you have not also read Body Respect, please read it. It really will help, especially if you feel stuck with your body image and with eating and with all the fear that comes around trying to leave dieting behind. It, it really is an amazing book, Linda. Thanks, and I really do think it takes the discussion to a much higher level as well. I agree. I really do. Um, thank you for bringing that up because I do, you know, I will, I recommend Health at Every Size first because that's the first one that I read. Um, but I, re I truly recommend Body Respect just as much. And honestly, if you want more, I guess, kind of details and more theory, you're right. That is the book to read. All right. So let me ask you, I've heard you I've heard you um, explain this on a different podcast, I think Food Psych, but for all of my listeners who haven't heard that, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you got into this work in the first place. What, what in, inspired and, and led you to doing the research that you eventually did? Sure. I think that's a, um, an important question because it provides really important frame to the issues that I discuss. Because I think a lot of people look at me and say, wow, you've got a thin body, you know, so what do you know about these issues? Mm -hmm. And um, what um, really the reason I got into this work was because weight was such a painful issue for me. And I think that this whole idea of, of fear of fat and what we think of fat bodies gets in the way of anybody, regardless of their size, being comfortable in whatever body that they have. Yeah. And so really, you can't look at somebody and know whether or not they've struggled with these issues. The odds are, particularly if they're female and you know that, that they have. Um, although, of course, we know that weight issues cross the whole spectrum of gender and sex. Yeah. But anyway, I, yeah, I really got into these issues to save myself. Weight was always such a painful topic for me when I was younger. I had this idea that I was too fat, that there was something wrong with being fat, and that if only I did the things I was told, like eat well and exercise, that I would have a thinner body, and along with that, that I would be better accepted in the world and loved. Mm -hmm. 
And I realized that there are so, so many misconceptions in all of the things that I just said. Um, and it's really been my life work to try to understand those issues a little bit better. And so I guess in an effort to save myself, I started to look at those issues academically. And I looked at them from a lot of different perspectives. I started out looking at the issue of cultural studies and feminism and, you know, why women in particular are socialized in a certain way and end up with these certain beliefs about their bodies. And from then I went on and got a graduate degree in psychology and I was looking at what motivates us to look at our bodies in certain ways? What motivates us to look at food in a certain way? And why do we eat when we're not hungry? Mm -hmm. um, then when I realized that there were still so many other questions that I didn't understand, I went on to look at this from a lot of other vantage points. Like my next graduate degree was in exercise science and understanding the role of exercise and why we weigh what we weigh and whether or not it's an effective weight loss device. And then I went on for my PhD in physiology, which is looking at all those complex body systems and how they all come together. And I put my focus on nutrition, but looking at how it fits into the whole bigger picture. But all of this was just in a quest to save myself and to feel more comfortable in the body that I had. And along the way, I found out that pretty much everything that I thought that I understood about weight and bodies was wrong. Right. And that's really been my mission now is to try to right some of those wrongs and um, show some of the people, show people some of the stuff that I've learned along the way through my education and personal experience. It's so amazing. And it really does show that you have all of you know, that varied background, the psychological part, um, the, the very scientific biological part, it's, it all comes together so well. And it's really, I mean, I just, I, I honestly don't know how I would, I would talk about what I talk about without your work coming before me. And it just, it's really, really revolutionary. And through you seeking an answer to your own personal struggle, you've helped so many people. And I just, I really love how that can happen, you know. Well, that's very sweet, Caroline. But, and I also just want to emphasize how much I'm aware that um, I'm part of a big community and we do all of this work together. Yes. And I think that I've got particular skills as kind of a translator, you mm -hmm. know, of, um, figuring out how all this stuff comes together and my academic experience has really given me a lot of power to be able to do this and I appreciate all the little niches that all of us fill in this whole big picture of getting the word out and translating it so that it's meaningful in people's lives so um, I want to thank you too for what you're doing in this whole big community of change oh thank you Man, it's it's a cool thing. It really is. And of course, my my own work stems from my own personal struggle as well. Um, so, yeah, thank God that um, I feel really thankful to to feel like I'm on the other side of it in a way, and and can do the translating. That's a really good way to put it, actually. Uh huh. And at the same time that you say that you know, like you're on the other side, I also have this sense that. 
we all occupy both locations <laughs> that, yeah, you know, um, I feel really good about how I move in my body these days. And I feel really good about my ability to enjoy food and to allow it to nourish me. And at the same time, um, my history is in me. Right. You know, and still to this day, when I feel sad, the first thing I think of is ice cream. Right. And that history is helpful. It it allows me to connect with my humanity, you know, to recognize that I've got this default position that just makes me want to um, kind of feel good, you know, totally. and not stay in difficult spaces. Yeah, it's, it is really humanizing and ever so slightly off topic. I sometimes say to people... You know, they get so frustrated with themselves that they can't get over it faster and that they're kind of stuck in their old mental patterns. And I've said, you know, some of some of my favorite like self-help spiritual gurus, they kind of had these huge epiphanies, if, if you're willing to believe that. And they sort of um, left be- behind humanity a little bit. And they're kind of in this elevated, sort of unreal uh, way of of relating to humanity that that is really, really impossible to sustain for the most of us. And so we all think that we should be able to do this so much faster. Um, but that, that really being, they're still having the struggle or still having those old thoughts is really normal and totally fine and that we're not meant to be these like perfect spiritual beings all the time. It's, it's not really possible for the most of us. Um, so thank you for mentioning that too, because I think that people are really hard on themselves for not doing this perfectly or not getting over it faster. Um, and just knowing that we're all kind of dealing with the same thing and we're all living in this same world. That's really brutal on weight is a good thing for people to remember. Right. And I think too, that maybe there's another way to reframe perfection, that perfection is embracing the fact that life is messy. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of thinking that you ever get to a place where it's not and learning to just accept the messiness and be in it and make peace with it. I love it. It's so true. I love it. Accept the messiness. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, so I think about that when when I get down and I think about the ice cream and I just think, you know, of course, you know, this is about my humanity, about wanting to feel happy right now and not wanting to stay in this difficult space. And can I just accept the fact that, you know, this is a difficult space And why don't I just explore it Um, and also find a way to take care of myself here, Yeah. right? So instead of laying on all the judgment around the ice cream, you can kind of transform it and instead say, um, you know, that I've got this human drive to kind of nourish myself, Mm -hmm. right? And my old pattern of nourishment um, ice cream, that's just one of the possibilities, but it's not going to help me in this moment to manage my discomfort. So maybe I want to just experiment with something else right now. 
Yeah. And, you know, find another way to get yourself through whatever difficult time you're, you're in. That's really good advice. And it's kind of the idea of please be compassionate towards yourself in, in all moments. You know, that's almost always, you know, a healing a healing addition to, to the discomfort. Be kind to yourself because as soon as you start beating yourself up for the way that you're reacting, it's just a spiral from there, you know? Exactly, yeah. So that kind of self-acceptance and just kind of being with the journey and accepting it um, and being kind to yourself throughout it all, compassion, yeah, that is so, so important to it. Awesome. All right, my next question for you is, I, these, you know, these myths about weight are in both of your books, but I'm wondering what you keep coming back to as you share all the information that you have, have learned with, with your readers. What are the biggest weight myths that you still see people struggling with over and over again? Even maybe once they've heard your message, where do people really get stuck? Oh boy. I mean, uh, it's a hard one because (laughs) there's so much that's just so wrong (laughs) entrenched (laughs) in our belief system but I think perhaps one of the biggest ones that might really resonate with your listeners is this idea that they can never be happy in the body that they have yeah and um, that's a really really painful myth because Um, it stops you from ever moving forward and making change. If you feel like the only way you can ever be happy is to have a thinner body, then your body's not your ally anymore. Right. And so you're going to be fighting yourself. And it's hard to get out of that mess. It's like chasing your tail when you could be, you know moving forward, you're just spinning way back and beating yourself up. Yeah. So I've had to be really quite thoughtful to help people to figure out, you know, how do you get out of that mess? And I think one thing that's really helpful is to recognize that um, it's not so surprising if you believe that because there's a lot of cultural reinforcement. You know, it is true that certain bodies get privileged in our world and get better treatment. Um, But that doesn't mean that you have to accept the culture that does that. I mean, we could look at it with all the other civil rights movements, like think about um, the um, people of color and the civil rights movement. Yeah. That, um, you know, there's this idea that whiter bodies are better. Mm -hmm. But we certainly know that while it is true that um, if if people of color could magically get white, they would probably there would probably be many ways in which they're treated better in the world. Right. The answer to that is not bleaching their skin. The answer is that you know we have to recognize that there's something wrong with this culture, and we've got to change the culture. And what that also means is that individuals are going to have to learn the skills to be able to navigate a world that isn't going to treat them as well. Yeah. But if you give in and think that the only way um, you're going to be happy is um, to conform, 
what you're going to recognize down the line is that even if you get a thinner body, it doesn't come with all of the great things that you think come along with it. Yeah. Right? For right. example, I think about, um, um, wow, we're going back like 30 years ago, my life, mm -hmm. when I was um, um, dating a woman who, um, she was a model and she was like gorgeous in that very conventional sense. Mm -hmm. And her experience in the world was that nobody really, really saw her. She got so much attention um, from men in particular, and it was attention that would get in the way of us being together. Because right. um, guys wouldn't see me, and they'd be hitting on her, which would make both of us feel bad and unseen in the world. Yeah. But what she realized was she never felt like she could trust relationships, you know, whether people were seeing her for who she was or whether they were seeing her for this body. And it brought with it so much insecurity. So, you know, while I'm sure to some degree, you know, all of the attention and acceptance that comes along with thinness is good. Right. Um, it, there's also an awareness that it's really quite a superficial representation of who we are. And that even people who get all of that cultural acceptance are constantly dealing with not feeling seen or validated for who they are. Wow. That's amazing. And it also brings the fear of losing that, like an, an even deeper fear of like, well, who would I even be if I, if I didn't have this, you know, right. beauty or privilege? It's right. such an important message and such an interesting story to share. Sure. You know, and, and I have to say too, just how, it got in the way of her being able to be in relationship with me and with anybody else because of that kind of fundamental distrust that she always had about what people were seeing. And I think part of her attraction to me was, you know, we, we met one another because we were both doing some community service work that brought us together. And it was our shared passion for making change in the world that was the main thing that we connected on. So it, you know, gave her some sense of possibility that I was seeing her personality, right? right. As opposed to right. just seeing a body. Yeah. And that's um, what we're really craving. Right. Yeah. Human connection. I think that that is really the most important thing in the world is human connection. I totally agree with you. So this is, so this big, big myth, and yes, I see it over and over. I experienced it myself really, really intensely. The, the true belief, or not the true belief, but the, the deep belief, the deep-seated, unhelpful belief that the only way to be happy is to lose weight. And on the flip side, that losing weight and being beautiful by cultural standards will make me happy. And right. it is a truly miserable place to be on both ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Right. And then you add into that the idea that um, all of these ideas that people pursue in the pursuit of thinness um, are about disconnect from your body. Mm. Right. So whether it's people go on a diet or whether they're exercising to burn calories, 
it's all with this fundamental sense of you've got to control and change your body. Mm-hmm. And so it gets you disconnected with what your body really needs to be happy and healthy. Yeah. So ironically, it's not even the best way to get you um, weight loss either. Right, right. (laughs) Right? What we find is people make better choices about food when they feel better about themselves. Right. Yeah. And I've definitely experienced that firsthand, which is something that I never, ever, ever would have thought was possible. It just didn't fit into my belief system about how weight and happiness worked and health too. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a huge one. Right. Are there any other big myths like that, that you see people? Sure. Um, another big, big myth is the relationship between weight and health, Mm -hmm. because that's yet another way that a lot of people rationalize the need for weight loss. Right. Um, is thinking, well, it's healthier to be in thinner bodies. And what we find is that the relationship between weight and health is really quite um, blown out of proportion in our current world. That really um, behaviors, well, no, actually, when I'm thinking about what the most important thing in terms of health is, it really seems to be more about social positioning in the world. That is so fascinating. Ever since I read that in body respect, and it may have been in health at every size too, but I remember it most recently in body respect, mind blown, but it makes so much sense. Right. And what I'm saying is not considered particularly radical. Right. Uh, even the Center for Disease Control, if you go to their website there, and you look at the social determinants of health, They have a graphic there that shows that behavior itself plays less than a quarter of a role in health outcome. Wow. And that the biggest contributor has to do with things like race and sex and money um, playing a role. That, you know, the more resources and support you have in the world... Um, the easier it is to live a long, healthy life. Why don't you think that that's more common knowledge? Why is that so, like, that is, that was never something that was told to me, even though it's, you know, it's, it's true. And you're saying it's not radical knowledge. Why don't the masses know that? (laughs) Because I think what that means is, it really indicts us for the social injustice in yes. our world. Yes. And um, instead, we'd rather blame individuals and make them responsible for their own health. It's a lot easier than to challenge the much larger structure that's not making any sense. It's Ooh. interesting. I was reading a study recently about diabetes. And do you know how in diabetes, the typical thing is if you want to help people with diabetes, you tell them to go on a diet and maybe throw in an exercise routine too. And you tell them to watch their, um, the sugar in their right. blood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's the typical approach. Well, this one research study that I was looking at um, didn't have any kind of a behavioral intervention. Instead, all it did was it gave 
people who had diabetes and were lower income housing vouchers so that they could move into much nicer places and have some sense of stability financially. Um, it was amazing to see how it reduced diabetic symptoms. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. And, right. and really, I mean, it does make sense. It really does. And I, you know, you're kind of inspiring me right now to make this even a way bigger part of my message because I really think it is so important. It is. And it's also interesting because, I, I mean, um, I look at, at your field, right? And I imagine that um, given that the kind of work that you do is is not, um, it's considered luxury in right. our world, right? right? It costs money for people to kind of enter into, to, to be able to pay you, to support you, to do right. the kind of work that you do, right? right? So your audience is um, not going to be as much the people who are really struggling with issues around poverty. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, possibly they're hearing your podcast and, you know, that's wonderful if the message gets out. But it, I think that there's also this very strong middle class movement of people that are struggling around health and weight issues. And when I start to talk about this, a lot of people think, all right, that might be true for other people, but this has nothing to do with me who's got a certain level of financial security, mm -hmm. right? And right. I don't want to really make it, I, I really shouldn't be making those assumptions because I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are challenged around money that might be listening to this. Right, right. Um, but on the other hand, I want to say that even for people... Um, like this isn't just on the extremes, like that people living in poverty um, are more likely to get things like diabetes and struggle with all the health concerns that we tend to blame on weight. It's really an issue for everybody because we all have ways in which we're marginalized in this social world, mm -hmm. whether it's because we're too fat, whether it's because we're low income, whether it's because we're a person of color, whether it's because we're transgender, right? That right. all of us have these aspects of our identity that don't get us as much respect and fair treatment in the world. And we're... Um, like, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a personal example here. Great. Um, I think for a lot of women, the struggle around fat is, um, feeling like, um, fatter women aren't perceived as attractive in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, um, that my fear around fat was not the typical woman's experience in that way. Because for me, it was gender took on a very different meaning. Mm -hmm. See, I wasn't so sure that I, I, you know, I was, when I was a kid, I was a bit of a tomboy. And well, I can't say I wanted to be a boy, I never really related to wanting to be a girl either. Right. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And for me, the getting fatter was that I was getting hips and I was being betrayed that suddenly now people could gender me and were putting me into this particular category that just didn't feel like me. Right. Right. right? 
So when I think about my, how I learned to view food, that lens played a really critical role because enmeshed in my struggles with food was my struggle with gender identity, you know, and finding a way to feel comfortable in this particular gender identity that I had that, you know, wasn't given quite as much respect in the world. You know, my parents wanted me so much to be that kind of feminine girl who was comfortable in dresses. And that's just not who I am. Right. Right. So the social, so even in this world that I was living in, where I have so many privileges given my white skin and my economic and educational background and class Mm -hmm. background, you know, all those kinds of things, you know, there's still ways in which my experience was marginalized in the world and led for me to have to be pretty disconnected from my body. Yeah. And I think that at the heart of everybody's struggle around weight, this is it. It has something to do with um, a disconnect between who we are at core Mm -hmm. and what's expected of us. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, just as you told that story, I was remembering my own, you know, personal experience, which was I very much did feel like I identified with being a girl. But as soon as I became at puberty, very curvy, very big chest, I was instantly sexualized all of the time. And right. even the, even, I mean, st- by men and even being straight, I wanted nothing to do with it. It made me feel horrible. Right. And it was so much to do with my desire to be thinner, to just sort of like disappear, go back to, to being a child and not treated as an object. I mean, I truly, I mean, I felt it within months because it was that fast of a change. Sure. You know, so you could see that sexism is really at the root of your struggles. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I think with all of us, like we could name these um, these social structures, whether it's sexism or racism or um, the bias against people who are transgender or sexual orientation, mm-hmm. that there's this struggle that individuals have marginalized identities which get in the way of them kind of being their their best self yeah yeah and being allowed to be who they feel they are at their core right so that's why I think it's so important that we start to take into consideration all of these social justice issues and that that's really at the core of embodiment embodiment. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this. This is so important. And so I I just, I I think a lot of light bulbs are going to be going off. Um, and people, this is already something that I talk about and I'm still, my, my jaw is sort of dropping during this conversation. (laughs) And if I could identify the biggest difference between my first book, Health at Every Size, and my second book, Body Respect, it's this emphasis. Yeah. And You know, I feel like in some ways I wrote myself out of health at every size and I wasn't aware of it, you know, that I was coming so much from that 
um, privileged background and um, not not recognizing how much the social structure enters into us and into our cells, you know? Yes, yes. And, you know, in that sense, I really look at health at every size as um, it just didn't go further, far enough in really helping people to identify what's, what's going on. And I appreciate that I had opportunity to write another book, you know, and to kind of go deeper into these issues. Yeah. And they're both so important. And in this way, like, you know, I feel like I'm, I, my readers or my followers are really on, really at the very beginning of this. They're mostly coming from an extreme dieting background. They, you know, they're, they're binging, they're trying intuitive eating, but they're doing it obsessively and they're making it into another diet. And somehow if they find my work and they don't know about health at every size yet, health at every size is a nice intro. It really, you know what I mean? It's a nice, like, here are some hard facts. Here's this study that was done that proves all of these deeply held beliefs wrong. And in a way, you know, maybe people aren't, aren't ready for body respect until they digest that first. Um, but then to go deeper and to, and to learn about this side, what we've just been talking about the social justice, which is really at the core of it all, um, is, is such a, I feel really lucky and happy that we have the second book of yours to go deeper. Um, I wonder, just because I read them in the order that they came out, I'm, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I, ha- I should, I should read them again and, and see what order to recommend them in to my readers, you know? Well, I, I suppose that my fear is that because health at every size is more commonly read and dispersed, that, um, too many people are getting the impression that it's that individual behaviors are mm. the critical issue here. I see. Yeah. And um, I don't, I think that because the book was so much of um, kind of self helpy in mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. I think that that can be misleading. Right. And so if I could, were to rewrite Health at Every Size, you know, I think that. I would help people to see the context a little bit more, you know, to recognize that there's reasons we get disconnected from our bodies that are real. And that, um, you know, the change that needs to happen has got to simultaneously happen on a cultural level. Yeah, and that empowers people in a way to be activists in... (laughs) in whatever sense or capacity they they feel like they can be. Right. And sometimes, you know, the best way to be an activist is to just live your life proudly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, instead of, um, like, for example, for people who are heavier, it's like if you... If you're constantly trying to hide your body and not participating fully in the world, then... Um, they've won. Right. 
right? Yeah. You know, the culture got inside of you. It told you you were bad and wrong, and you've believed that. Right. Right? Yeah. But the more you kind of just um, be yourself out in the world and assert yourself that you have a right to kind of live your life, right? Yeah. And you have a right to be treated with respect. That that's an activist statement. It really is. Every time we kind of own ourselves. Which is, yeah, which is why I I tell people to to be a rebel and take up space. Right. And those, you know, those women and men, but mostly women who are body positive, fat activists and models and, um, you know, who have accounts on, on just even just Instagram they are helping to heal the bigger picture and they're inspiring other people who think that they could never do that themselves to see that they actually could and to to witness you know somebody being confident when they've been told that they're they're not allowed to be confident is so liberating it really really is inspiring i can't even um i can't emphasize enough how helpful that was for me to, Mm -hmm. to follow accounts like that. Um, and yeah, it it really, it was a big piece of the puzzle for me, just witnessing that confidence that I didn't believe was possible in myself. Right. Yeah. I think it's wonderful to have role models. And I also think that it's really important too, that our role models also exhibit their vulnerability Mm -hmm. and, you know, that we recognize that, um, it's we're, that it's not like there's this place that you get to where it's all over. Right, exactly. There is no destination. It really right. doesn't exist. And so every moment, you know, is another opportunity for us to kind of explore this further and to, you know, figure out how to show our authentic self and our authentic selves are going to be struggling at times. They're not going to be that role model of size acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I feel like personally I have come so far in my own, you know, eating and body, you know, journey, not that it's ever completely done, but it's, you know, I do feel like that is something that I worked through for the most part, but now there are a million other areas of my life to apply a similar, you know, awareness to and compassion to. And uh, it's all about those cultural shoulds, really, honestly. That's what it keeps coming back to. Where else am I being so mean and, and stressed out about what I'm supposed to be doing that I'm, that I'm not doing well enough, you know? Right. That's pretty consistent. That right. where am I saying I should be doing something else? I should be farther along or I shouldn't be doing it this way, you know? Right. So many things I still think that way beyond food and body. Right. I had a kind of interesting experience last week um, where I came home and I had had a really, really hard day. It was just one of those days where just everything goes wrong. And all I wanted to do was just come home and just sit down and do nothing. And I walk in the house and the first thing that I get hit with for my um, partner is, um, 
Honey, you're gonna have to need. You're gonna have to go pick up Isaac in a half hour. We've got a son who um, is a little too young to drive right now, right? Uh-huh. And. I just exploded at her, right? I, you know, I basically just said, I can't, you know, you need to do it. I just need to sit down. And uh, what I'm saying right now is um, kind of the gentle form of what I really said. <laughs> right. I'm, not, I'm not proud of myself in that moment, right? And, right. Um, and anyway, like, I, I look and my partner, unfortunately, like, she knows that's not me, right? She, right. I'm not typically that reactive, and um, I'm much more compassionate. And um, so she didn't just get into reactivity and anger, which I think I would have had I been in her right. circumstance, you know, just not being treated so kindly. Right. Um, instead, she just said, why don't you just sit down for a little while and do what you need to do to relax and just breathe for a bit, and then we'll have this conversation again, uh-huh. right? Which... It was really such a mature and responsible thing to do, right? And it was amazing because it did help to diffuse the situation, right? Right. For me to sit and meditate for a little while and just kind of watch what came up. And then we had the conversation again, right? And Mm -hmm. then I could hear about her day and how everything had gone wrong in her day. And it was pretty dramatic, you know, and I could understand why she didn't want to go out and why she was asking me to kind of take on her usual responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, and suddenly I could have a lot more compassion for the situation. And, you know, my attitude towards it changed. It's like, yeah, I didn't want to go out, but I also saw the value in it. And, you know, and it got me out of just my selfish mode. And anyway, I guess that's kind of a long story to just say that it doesn't like eating is just one of the many forms that just we get disconnected from ourselves we just are looking for like our whether it's we get rooted in our anger or our ice cream right right? you know and we we're trying to run away from discomfort yeah totally right yes so we all are constantly on this journey of being able to sit with discomfort and being human. Yeah, I, that is uh, completely uh, what I often say is that this is like the the doorway or the you know your your little sampling of like a a way longer journey, and it's exactly what you just said. Being comfortable with the discomfort or the messiness, which is what you said earlier. Right. So I should say that like all of my food struggles were basically just training in how to deal with life. Yeah. And that's really good news, you know, because it's again, it's it's uh, just more proof that once you get over this hurdle, we all think like, okay, then everything's going to be great. Then life's going to be easy. Then I'm going to be, you know whatever your fantasy, we think that once we get there to that destination and that takes many different forms, that everything will be great. And that's just not how it works, you know? Right. But the magic is that we now have the tool to be able to manage things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And our struggles with weight just provided us with it. Exactly. And it really, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that that's pretty consistently what I find in 
everyone else that I that I talk to um, on this podcast, you know, has kind of found that that same truth that it's just the beginning, but yet it is um, it's applicable. What we learn here with food and weight is applicable to all the other areas, which is great. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I'm going to skip to my last question because I don't want to keep you too long, but. And we might have already said the answer to this question, but what advice would you give to young Linda? And this can be specific to food and weight, or it can be general, whatever, whatever feels right. Wow. You know, it's interesting, Caroline, because I think as we're talking in this interview, it's really, um, help like i've i've been kind of reflecting on my own journey and speaking a lot from experience and i feel like i'm in a very vulnerable and raw space right now as we're talking so when you ask that question and now i'm kind of imagining young linda i'm just i'm just looking at that young linda who was just filled with so much shame mm. right and yeah. i think that a lot of it is around um those gender issues that I was mentioning, you know, like um, feeling my inadequacy as a girl in the world, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so if I think about what Linda really needed was, um, you know, to recognize that who, who she is, is just entirely okay right and that would be my message to everyone it's like at any point in your life just recognize that you are enough you know who you are is pretty amazing and the more that we can learn to embrace ourselves um regardless of you know the ways in which we're quirky or we don't get the reinforcement from the outside world Right. But the more that we can just kind of embrace who we are, um, that's that's the magic in life. So, you know, to young Linda, like I would say, yeah, the life life can get hard sometimes and you're going to need to learn to develop some resilience to be able to take care of yourself when the outside world doesn't treat you well. But you can find community and love and find people who can see you for the amazing person that you are and um you know own that don't be scared of it oh linda thank you so much this has been so wonderful in every way and um i'm so excited for everybody to listen to this your your wisdom i mean just just starting with the food and weight but right up into what you just said there is so needed. And I'm so thankful that you're sharing it and sharing it on this podcast. That's very sweet, Caroline. And thanks for making this such a safe place to kind of explore all of those issues. You are so welcome. It is my pleasure. Guys, I'm sorry, but how amazing is she? Oh, man. Um, I really hope that you liked that interview and I hope that it was helpful and I hope that it was inspiring and I hope that it has given you confidence and giving you something helpful to take away. Um, 
now I'm going to apologize that this episode took so long to get out. I interviewed her quite a few weeks ago, um, but over the past week and a half, I've been so sick. I've had a cold that has taken on so many different forms. Um, every time I thought, okay, well, it has to be over now. It just came back in a different way, and it was terrible. Uh, but I think, I think I am coming out the other end. So we'll see. Um, so I've been just distracted and tired and just trying to do what I needed to do to get by. And this was not, uh, easy to do with a cold because you have to talk. Um, I want to remind everybody now to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't, to give us a like, not a like, you don't like on iTunes, to give, to give us a us, me and my microphone, to give me and my microphone and all the people that I interview a five-star rating on iTunes and a review. It's so helpful for people who are looking around for podcasts about normal eating and body positivity to find us when we have a high rating and lots of reviews. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's done that. Thank you for doing that if you haven't and you feel so inclined. And also, this podcast is being supported on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Caroline Duner. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. It really, really does help because podcasting takes time, energy, and money to host. So if you would like me to be posting more often, I would love to be posting more often. Please support us there. And if we get up to $400 a month, I will be able to post more often. Okay. Um, what do I want to talk about now? Okay. So... I had so many things that I sort of wanted to say, but um, I, so for many of you who do listen to my podcast, you've heard me talk about my two years of rest, which I am still on. Um, And my two years of rest are really uh, both physical and mental and emotional and existential rest from all the pressures. It's like what I did with the fuck it diet with food um, and exercise, I am now doing with uh, everything else essentially in my heart. I'm just like stepping out of the rat race. I'm stepping out of uh, the stress that I could put myself under to be growing the fuck a diet faster, to uh, be making more money faster, to get to some secure place faster, to become more successful faster, to, uh, you know, fall in love faster, which obviously you can't rush and may never even happen, guys. So I'm just basically stepping out of it and letting myself be in the exact same place that I am in two years, which I won't be. Nobody's in the same place in two years. And what I'm really hoping to find is a lot of space and a lot of um, quiet and reflection and peace and enjoyment. And, you know, the beautiful thing is I really love writing and I really love the fuck it diet and I really love... Um, running Fucketeer Academy and doing the energy work that I'm trained in. So that's not hard for me to keep doing. That's kind of like really lovely and an enjoyable way to, you know, to make a living. And it feels really meaningful. Meaningful. I can say that word. 
feels really meaningful and whoa why can't I say that word it feels really me <coughs> okay all right everything's fine everything's fine it feels really meaningful and uh so that's not hard to do I mean I'm really I'm taking the pressure off of myself um but that's going to keep happening you know and that's going to keep growing as it will as it's meant to naturally um but as I said in a different podcast, the the real manifestation of my two years of rest is no, um, no seeking out dating and no um, feeling guilty for not dating or feeling guilty for like not being like open or like looking for someone. And basically just like my weird stress of uh, it's all my fault. I sh- I'm going to be alone forever because it's my fault. I'm just like very purposely stepping out of that stress and it feels really great. And like I, I notice a marked difference in my um, my stress levels and my like my guilt. Um, so it's a good thing. But of course, right before I got sick, I decided to forget about this dating rest for a week's time. And I was very distracted for a week, like d- dating, I guess you could say, someone that was totally wrong for me, but like a fun distraction. And I got so sick, like smack in the middle of it, so sick. And I've been so <laughs> sick for so long since. Now, I wasn't supposed to date this person. We like decided after a second date to just be friends. It just, it wasn't right. You know, it just wasn't right. Um, but I laughed and I'm still laughing that I, like my body spoke up and was like, Mm-mm, sorry, you can't, you cannot do this. This is not your time to do this. This is your time to do other things. Um, I thought that that was notable and interesting. Um, what else is happening? So I am so happily running Fakatir Academy, which is my monthly membership site. I love it so much. I really, really love it. And I, what I teach in there besides a monthly theme and this monthly theme is shame, which is a deep, dark one, but really important and really, really, uh, important did I just say that? Really important and really important. I don't really know at this point. I blame the illness. I always have an excuse, guys. I always have an excuse for why I can't speak properly. Um, uh, so this month is shame. I teach limiting belief energy work that is really, really powerful. And uh, that is what we focus on. And then we have a Q&A, and these days we're having some group energy work bonuses, which is really cool so people can experience the group energy work. Um, I also have group energy work sessions that are not a part of Fucketeer Academy, but I'm trying to like weigh how I'm going to work all of that out, and there might be some changes in how I offer those things upcoming but I'll let you know and you probably don't care anyway you probably don't want my energy work anyway even though you should oh I just moved my microphone sorry you should because it's so awesome 
But I'll get someone on here who's actually experienced it, who's not me, to talk about that at some point. For now, what do I want to say? Fucketeer Academy is awesome. You should totally join it. It's $35 for the first month. If you want to try it out, you can cancel it at any time. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, I want to tell you guys two more things, and then I'm actually going to let you go because I think this is going to be long enough as it is already. One thing is that I am writing a book for real. I've been like sort of hinting at this for a while and it's still in, you know, pretty early on in the works and the book is basically half written um, and it's going to be awesome and it's going to take you through the physical, mental, emotional and intuitive phases of the fuck it diet, but it's going to be awesome. I have a book agent. Um, but I'm, I'm still writing it and there's some really cool magical story around this that I will eventually tell, but I'm still kind of just in the beginning stages of it. So that's, it's exciting stuff. Honestly, I shouldn't even be talking about it yet because it's going to be probably years, honestly, until it comes out, which is a shame, but it's just the way that these things go and it will be worth the waiting for. But, um, the other thing, and that's one of the other reasons that I'm really seeking rest because I need a lot of space in order to be able to really do this book justice and, and not burn myself out. But, um, the other thing that I want to say, oh, that's totally unrelated to the book. But if any of you listeners live in or around Philadelphia, I'm just throwing it out there. This is not fuck a diet related, but it, you know, there's an overlap. I am doing my live show, my ukulele stand up, essentially, my show called Possible Memoir Titles, where I try to title my future memoir that I'm going to write in 40 years. I'm doing it on July 14th in Philadelphia. I'm doing it at Plays and Players, 730, $20 to get in. I will put a link on my site um, in the in the notes for this podcast episode. Um, but it's a comedy. It's not about the fucking diet. It mentions the fucking diet. The fucking diet. <laughs> Hello? Okay. Whoa. It mentions the fucking diet, but it's not about it. It's 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 a comedy. It's completely absurd. Um, but it's fun and if you're around I would love to meet some fucketeers at my show that would be amazing um so I'll put a link in the show notes um for this episode and I would love to see you guys there all right what else could I possibly have to say today there's so many things that I could say Like, for instance, I just got a body wave, which is really just a perm with less tight curls in my hair, and it smells horrible, and I've done it to myself, and it's because I want my hair to be like a wavy bob, but I have really straight hair, and I think that it's like some kind of like, oh, it's so stupid. Anyway, I just got this body wave, and my whole life smells bad now. And I have no one to blame but myself and my like strange, I don't even know if you can call it vanity because it doesn't even really look that good (laughs) ever. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to look like Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia, but it's never really worked out. Um, all right, what else? So, okay, so here's the thing. Guys, if you're interested at all in energy work, you should totally join Pucketeer Academy. It is so cool. It is so affordable. It is so awesome and I love it so much and literally every day I'm thinking okay how can I make it even more awesome for me and for the people in there I know that that's actually sounds like a really weird thing to say like every day I'm trying to figure out how to make it more awesome but I really love running it and so I want to make it something that feels really sustainable for me and for the people in there I really just want it to be even more awesome um so check it out there's that and then I'm doing a group energy session on July 25th um you should check that out if you're interested and other than that just fuck it guys just fuck it i'm just so hot in this house i'm still in my parents house like eternally in my parents house i actually did go to new york to my actual apartment there for a couple days um but my life is happening in philadelphia right now and i'm moving august 1st so Soon I won't be living in my parents' house. But for now, I'm still sitting in this red velvet throne chair in my mom's office. Um, And I'm ready to grow up and leave and move out again. (sighs) I don't know what else to say except that my life smells like a perm. I'm so glad that you listened to this episode I hope you think Linda Bacon is as amazing as I do. And I cannot wait to talk to you again in episode 12. I have some pretty cool people that I'm interviewing very soon. And I hope that the episode comes out way sooner than this one did. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, I'm not going to do a song today, just, you know, in case you had any desire or expectation that I would, because I'm too tired, and there's plenty of time for songs, and there will be songs in the future, but tonight, no songs. Tonight, instead of songs, I'm going to go try and see if I can find any interesting food in my parents' house, because that's what we reverted to here. Okay, goodbye. See you later.